All right, the Bible says here, 1 Peter 3, verse 8, it says, Finally, be ye all of one mind, having compassion one of another, love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous, not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrariwise, blessing, knowing that ye are thereunto called, that ye should inherit a blessing. For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no guile. Let him eschew evil and do good. Let him seek peace and ensue it. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous and his ears are open unto their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. And who is he that will harm you? If ye be followers of that which is good. Notice verses uh, 10 and 11. Verse 10 and 11. Let's read that together. That's all we're going to look at primarily this morning. Verse 10 and 11. We'll read it together again. For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no guile. Let him eschew evil and do good. Let him seek peace and ensue it. All right. So what days, don't answer me out loud, but what kind of days did you have last year in 2021? What kind of days did you have? There's probably a variety of days for most people. Good days, bad days, you know, sick days, not sick days, uh, happy days, sad days. You probably had a variety of things. Um, People, we all had kind of weird days in 2020 for most people, right? It was an odd year. Um, what? Let me ask you this. Um, <clears throat> so what kind of, think about the, the kind of days that you had last year. How much of your choice affected the quality of your day, your days? How much of your choices affected the quality of your days last year? It would be a certain amount, right? There are things that you can control, and there's things you can't control. That's just life. Um, God does what He's going to do. God does what He wants to do. And He may bring um, hardship of His own choice on you. Though you be a perfect man and one that eschews evil and fears God like Job and has everything lined up, and your eyes dotted, T's crossed, and you do your devotions every day, and you do all the stuff, he still might still bring hardship he may have last year, and he may this year. And you might be a Job, have a Job path. But that's, you can't, God chooses that stuff. You have to choose how you respond to that. But it's still, nevertheless, the concept of good days is brought up here, that Peter gives us hope that you can have. Good days. He that will love life. I like this. I love this. And see good days. Man, I had a good day. And it tells some components of what a man should do. If he wants to have a life that he loves and see good days. Peter gives five components of what a person can do. He quotes, actually Peter quotes Psalm, I think it's Psalm 34. There's a psalm he quotes directly. He didn't make this up. And even he did, it was of the Holy Spirit, right? What kind of days have you had? What kind of days do you think you'll have in front of you? 
Do you think your choice matters? Again, in the year, in this year, it's just a fact. Again, I say it again, is that the year before me, God's going to make choices for me of things that happen or He lets happen to me through even through other people's bad choices. And then I get to make choices. He's given us capacity to make choices on how we think, what we do, and say, and choose, and embrace, and connect with, and talk to. And he gives us a multitude of ways to choose. And how we choose affect the good or the bad aspect of us. It'll affect the, the answer of, am I going to have a good or bad day? Um, we had, I enjoyed this last year um, with my family and I look forward to vacations. I love doing being a pastor. I look forward to the days of where I get to do that. But some of my worst days were things that, <laughs> because of something out of my mouth. Man, I shouldn't have said that. Some of my worst days were because maybe I, I didn't eschew evil. I just, eh, you know, I tolerated evil, something harmful. Or some bad days were because I didn't try to make peace with somebody. So it was a bad day. But Peter touches on those. Notice there's five components he tells us. If you want to love life and see good days, it's right there. Look what he says. He that will love life and see good days. Number, here's, what, here's what our message will be. Number one, let him refrain his tongue from evil. That'll help. Number two, in his lips, that is, refrain your lips. Number two, that they speak no guile. That'll help with good days. Number three, let him eschew evil. That's in verse 11. Number four, don't just eschew evil, but number four, also do good. You know, if you want to have good days, you should do things that are good. What a concept. And number five, if you want to have good days, let him seek peace and ensue it. And then the verse 12 just gives us this impression that God's looking at that and he's He's happy to answer the prayers of a person like that. That's the concept there. The eyes of the Lord are over the righteous. His ears are open unto their prayers, but the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. Number one, let's see five components for having good days that pastor didn't make up. The psalmist said this. Peter said this. And you hope you believe this. Number one, I'll have a good day if I can get this one thing down of refrain my tongue from evil. Let him refrain his tongue from evil. You're like, what? Evil means harm, harmful tongue. Okay, so how many of us have a knife? What do you call the thing you put the knives in? Not, we have a drawer, but what's the block of wood? Butcher block, you just, how many of us have one of those? All right. When you pull it out, pull a knife out, what are you doing with that knife? Stabbing anybody? Nobody would want to admit it in here. He's like, I thought about it. <laughs> right? When you pull the knife out of the butcher block and you're going to go over and you're going to cut up your whatever, your steak or chicken and, and whatnot, you, pull, you don't pull the knife out and go, <laughs> that guy's been ticking me off next door. I'm gonna... No, you refrain from evil, right? The knife can be used for evil. Or it could be used for good. You're going to cut up some food or you're going to whatever. Maybe it's, if it's a different type of knife, you're going to whittle something. You take a knife and you refrain from evil with it. 
You still use it. You cut things. You provide food. You whatever. It's used as a tool for good. But you also refrain from evil. You're not going to stab somebody, cut somebody. That's, you need to refrain from evil. This is called a sword. Our tongue is like a sword. And what we need to do is all need to think, how, what have I been doing with my tongue? That is, the, 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 the nature of my speech. Has it been essentially poking and slicing and picking and cutting and amputating with my tongue? Is that what my tongue's been doing? I have a tongue. Am I using it for evil or for good? Just, the, just this one aspect of refraining from evil, boy, that'll give you some, you know, there's some proverbs that basically say, you know, the guy that just refrains his mouth, people think he's wise, even if he's not, you know. It, the Bible says in Proverbs 15, 4, a wholesome tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness therein is a breach in the spirit. Wholesome tongue is a tree of life. We have a wholesome tongue. Proverbs 18.21 says, just like what I described, two different choices with the tongue. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And they that love that power, they that love it, shall eat the fruit thereof. If I want to use my tongue for life, I'm going to taste the sweetness of that, of friendship and of helping people. But if I want to use my tongue for death, I'm going to taste the fruit of that too. Proverbs 18, 21, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. Proverbs 21, 23, whoso keepeth his mouth, that doesn't mean keep it shut, it just means maintain it. Whoso keepeth his mouth and his tongue, keepeth his soul from troubles. You stay out of a lot of trouble just harnessing the mouth, right? Some of us, if we, if we let everything go that we wanted to say, you wouldn't be here today. You'd be in prison or divorced, you know, all kinds of stuff, fired, you know. But maybe on a lower levels of things that evil of a, you wanted to say or you thought about or just came and let, refrained our tongues from evil, the evil of gossip. Don't, don't, don't go talking about something that you think if it's not true. And even if you find out something that's true about somebody that's some juicy sin or some hardship, you don't need to go talking about a bunch of other people about it if it has nothing to do with helping them. Gossip, whisper, refrain your tongue from that. Um, the evil of critical spirit. The evil of a critical spirit. It's very easy to have a critical spirit because it's easy to find things that are wrong. It's necessary to find things wrong and correct them, but sometimes that's all we do. We don't build up. It can be evil when all I do is criticize. It's like a hammer. If all I use a hammer for is... You say hammers are... You need hammers to demo things. You do. You... But if you don't know how to build anything with a hammer, then that, so what? Any, I, mean, I can get four-year-old boys to help demo things around here. They would love to, actually. And that's like our tongue. I can, I, can, I can break down and criticize and trash talk and all that with my tongue and break down and destroy. But I need to, fi- grab, I need to find a way to build up with my tongue and edify with my tongue and compliment with my tongue and encourage with my tongue and inspire with my tongue. That's using the hammer to build and nail some things together and build and have something that, that is in the place of what I just uh, 
dismantled. I try to, I'm not, I, I want to be better at this, but when I'm dealing with my kids, I often try, because there's plenty of things to correct. Man, foolishness is just dropping all around us sometimes in our house and out mouths. I'm like, that was so dumb. Why did you say that? The other day I was telling my wife. But anyways, because I told my wife, I was like, I was dumb, but I wasn't dumb like that. I was a different dumb. Don't be, ah. So anyways. So anyways, so I get my boys or somebody will say something bad or do something weird. Or, and I, I'm constantly correcting, but I also have to find ways of, hey, um, okay, don't, don't, you don't need to say that. That was so mean to say that. I know you. You can find ways to compliment your brother. You can find ways to encourage your brother. And I try to give a little lift, you know, give a little, you can do it, man. Come on. To where I'm building, I'm trying to put some nails in some wood to help build up something for him instead of just, that was bad, that was bad. That was bad, but here's what's good, and I think you can do it. That's what I try to do. So I'll have good days by refraining my tongue from evil. Um, by the way, the context, look at the context of this. Look at the verse before it. Um, verse 9, Peter says, not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, Contrary wise, blessing, knowing that you are thereunto called that you should inherit a blessing. What is he saying? Peter's saying, look, he's basically saying, hey, Christians, we're going to be like Christians, not like everybody else. Everybody else rails, and the guy rails back. People else curse, and the guy curses back. Peter says, no, we don't play that. The pigs snort around and wallow in the mud. We don't get down in the mud with them. We don't play that game. If somebody throws mud on you, just wipe it off. Don't throw it back, is what he's saying. Somebody curses you, don't curse it back. Find a way to bless them. That's really tough, but it's what we're called to do. It's a higher call. Matthew teaches that Jesus taught that in Matthew 5. The, the context is this. The context is harsh speech is around us and comes on us, and it's easy to play that game and get in there and be harsh back and a bad mouth back and, and trash people back. I'm sorry, don't. This whole let's go Brandon thing, that's dumb. Let's, let's, let's pray for president thing. You know, that's what we should do. And people, that's a code word for profanity. And stuff like people get, I'm just saying, this is an example of people getting into speaking evil in the realm of politics to where it's just, we're, we sound like the other unsaved Republican guy. That's what we sound like. Um, and by the way, I mean, our president needs to be dealt with and he should be confronted and we should talk about it. We should just do it based on his lousy ideas that he has and principles. But like resorting to this like profanity and things like that, that's not necessary. Let him refrain his tongue from evil. The evil of trashing and cursing. We've got to refrain. So I got, I got a knife here and I'm not going to be stabbing people with it. Number two... <coughs> What will help me have good days? And his lips that they speak no guile. The scripture says, look what it says there. Guile. Guile sounds kind of gross, huh? Ugh, guile, guile. It means like a, to be a decoy, to decoy with your mouth. To flat, you can have the idea of flattering, to flatter with your mouth. Um, to be deceitful. It means like, um, you know, tricking people, you know. It means being the dishonest salesman. 
but you maybe you're not in a sale. You're just in a real regular conversation with somebody. You're just trying to flatter them, make them think something about you, or make them think you feel something about them that you really don't feel because you're just you're, you have guile. It's the opposite of being a straight shooter. Uh, I, I've seen guys sometimes, young guys, teens and college guys, that that they they have they had guile in their speech. Their lips spoke guile when they were dealt, dealing with girls. And they would lead a girl on. And the girl would ah, he likes me. And he would like, this guy would speak with guile to another girl and give her the impression that he likes her. And you kind of get her on the hook. And lead, talk to another girl, give her the impression that he likes her, even though he doesn't keep her on the hook. And, and pretty soon he'd have a handful of girls that kind of liked them. And some people might think, that's pretty cool. And that's not. It's not when they all start calling you. And then they find out that they, they convene together and find out that you're doing that to all of them. The guy's going to get in trouble. He's not going to have a good day. He won't refrain his tongue from evil and his lips they speak no guile. He'll love life and see good days. Yeah. Girls have done that too. They got their little boyfriend here. They want to keep him on the hook. Another boyfriend over here, keep him on the hook. And they, they just, they don't really love, they just speak with guile. They're flattery. And they're not going to see good days playing that game. I know I'm just giving an example, one little example, and some of us are way beyond that probably in our type of life. But Jesus commended people without guile. John 1.47, Jesus saw Nathaniel come and he says, look at that guy right there, an Israelite indeed, in whom is no guile. That's a straight shooter right there. Mm -hmm. What he says he means and what he means he says. That's what Jesus said about Nathaniel. And Nathaniel's like, you know me, don't you? Ah, I know you. Jesus um, himself, 1 Peter 2, it says of the Lord Jesus Christ, it's right there on the next page, who Jesus did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Don't you like that? Jesus would be the best salesman. Because if he's selling you a used car, be like, don't, whatever he said, that's it, man. You're not going to have a lemon unless he tells you it's a lemon and you still want to buy it. His lips, Jesus was a straight shooter. He told the truth. It was plain. His lips that they speak no guile. The Bible says there's going to be an amazing group of 144,000 unmarried virgin Jewish men in the tribulation time. 144,000 of these guys who are going to be, it appears in the scripture, witnesses in the world they have God's protection on them, and one of them, and they're going to be incredibly effective, but also hated by the Antichrist. They're going to be effective in witnessing. But the, one of the high qualities God says of them is it says that um, in their mouth was found no guile, for they were without fault before, before the throne of God. What makes me a good witness is to have no guile. That is, again, don't flatter, don't uh, be dishonest. Don't um, bend the truth. Don't try to give false impressions so you can just have some favor with somebody. No guile. Helps make for good days. His lips that they speak, no guile. Number three, what else? I want to have, have some good days this year. All right, here's another one. This is, really makes sense. Let him eschew evil. Number three, what does Peter say? As he quotes the psalm. Let him eschew evil. Eschew 
is a word that means Ugh, like that. Run away from it. One of my kids yesterday, this is ridiculous. You can eschew the wrong things. My boys are eschewing some vegetables. I was cutting up a, I cut up like a little tomatoes, those little cherry tomatoes, and I was giving some to charity, and, and one dropped on the ground, and one of the little, one of our younger boys saw it on the ground. He started walking by. I said, pick that up. And he's like, it's just a little piece of tomato. And then at that point, I'm like, oh, you're now you're picking it up, bud. You're picking it up. And I'm like, I'm taking your food away until you pick it up. I'm going to send you upstairs. You're not going to eat until you come back and pick it up. I'm like, this is ridiculous. I'm raising men. You can't be afraid of picking up a cherry tomato. Hopefully eating it one day, you know. <laughs> but anyways, he's like, ah. And then he's like, ah. I'm like, oh, I can't believe this. But he, I made him pick it up. And then there's one of the, I don't know which one. One of the other boys, what is it, grapes or something? I think it's grapes. Does one of them have an issue with grapes? I said, that's unbiblical. <laughs> Jesus ate grapes and crushed them and drank it. You know? And so I told one of the boys, I'm purposely making you wash the grapes and come hand them to me. Because I'm like, you know, come on, it's... Um, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Come on, it's grapes. So he thinks that well, it's evil. You know, I I can't touch that. Or so there's a couple little things like that. You know, but anyways. So it's doing evil. Okay. So back to this. And seriously, okay, I want to have a good year. Shoe evil. Well, that makes sense. Just stay away from stuff that's bad, that's harmful. That's not the whole, that's not the only formula that says do good. We'll get to that point. But here I am. I'm in church and we're Christians. Probably everybody in here is saved. Maybe a few people are not. I don't know. But you think, Pastor, I'm a Christian. I stay away from evil. Do you really? Do you really? And if you do, that, that is good. Keep doing that. We need to stay away from of the evil of the immoral evil, illegal evil. Um, the evil, uh, evil attitude, evil entertainment. Evil means harmful. That's what it means. Uh, some, just as an example, sometimes we indulge in evil entertainment. By that I mean, you know, it's just something filled with blasphemy and nudity. That's not going to help you. You're going to have bad days eventually. That's going to get you. That's going to affect the way you think about God. That's going to affect, it might, it might, for men, it might hook you on pornography. And I've seen it happen to people. Because, eh, it's a little bit of nudity there, a little bit of lewdness there, and it grows and grows and grows, and pretty soon that person has bad days and bad years because they didn't eschew evil. Eschewing evil starts in little steps. I don't need to see that. Let's see this instead. Eschew evil. Job, okay, so let's get honest here. Job, Job 1.1, he was a perfect man. There was a man in the land of Uz, not Oz, whose name was Job, the same was a perfect man, the one that feared God and eschewed evil. The book of Job starts out with this guy. He's perfect. But God sent him trials. Again, that's God's choice to do that. But, yet, but since Job's still in his... In his the, he didn't curse God nor charge God foolishly. He struggled. You can hear some of it mentally and verbally through the book. And he said, though God slay me, yet will I trust him. And you see Job's fidelity in his marriage in that book. Job eschewed evil and did good. And eventually you do see he had good days. He did have good days. My point is just because 
we embrace some of this thing today and say, I'm going to do what God says. It doesn't mean there's not going to be problems and trials, but it's just that on your side of things, you're going to contribute to good days. You won't have to say, man, I am so in trouble because of what I said to my boss. Man, I'm so in trouble because I got indulged in this thing. No, it, part of having good days is making good choices and staying away from evil. I remember when I was, my dad worked at the General Motors Desert Proving Grounds. It used to be in East Mesa for years. And they, they provided, I've told you this before, they provided um, a driving course because it's a huge, uh, huge, huge uh, facility they had. Big old track, a two-mile, uh, what was the, was the oval track was two miles? Five-mile oval track and a two-mile straightaway and a big skid pad and all kinds of cool stuff, you know, out there. They, the, their, their oval track had a bank like NASCAR's track. It was really cool. What they did one year is the, the, the proving ground said to the employees, said, hey, if your, your teenagers want to come do a driving course, they can. And so I was one of a few teenagers that came out, and they had a few employees give us a driving course. Now, these guys are guys that are testing vehicles, and they're good drivers, and um, they do all kinds of crazy stuff with these vehicles, you know, uh, skidding and banking and all kinds. They're testing to see how, how these vehicles... So they took us on a, they did a little driving course and taught us some maneuvering. It's really cool. And one of the things they taught, and I, it taught me how, that, how a vehicle can, um, you know, unless it's a slippery road, on all things being equal, a vehicle can quickly avoid something. And I didn't realize that. So they taught us, they put us on this course where you're driving this, and I don't know what it was. It was just kind of like a domestic car, a Buick or a Pontiac or something, just like a regular car. That General Motors made, and he's like, here, we're going to teach you how to drive, and then just last minute, swing out of the way of something, and then swing back in your lane. He was trying to, the, 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 uh, the instructor was, had like a set of cones, you're driving, here's your lane, and there's a set of cones right there, and you pretend like it's a, an object in the road, a car, a person, and, and when he says, at the last moment, he says, now, you know, I don't know what he said, avoid it or turn or whatever, I would do that. Now, if I didn't, I'm just running over cones. But he's teaching us a, a scenario, a pretend scenario of avoiding something. And man, I didn't realize that. He's like, watch this. And he did it. And we're like, right up, we're driving. We're like, I'm going to hit these cones. And he's like, whoop, whoop. I'm like, wow, how did we do that in this car? I thought this car would fall or something, you know? And it, it didn't. It was just, and again, it was kind of one of the regular domestic cars. But, and then he's like, now you do it. And he showed us how. We just, wow, that's pretty cool, you know? Do I want to avoid cats? <laughs> Anyways, no, just kidding. Uh, but, you know, just in case, like avoiding a cat, a dog, or whatever, you know. So that's what, that's what it was. And so <coughs> we taught, he taught us how to avoid, to quickly avoid something. And so um, there's things that we got to avoid this year. And a lot of it's our entertainment junk. That's what we're infested with as, as Americans. Do you swerve away from anything? Is anything off limits besides what you're not interested in? We have, there's things we got to swerve away from, right? In our entertainment, in our relationships. We don't want to snob, snub everybody and be Pharisees. We want to be as friendly as many sinners as possible. But there's some things like, all right, this is not good. This is pulling me away. I need to eschew evil in that sense. You know, Spurgeon said, half the world's problems, its troubles and woes came from a yes, which should have been no. 
half the world. That's not all of them, but he said half of them. And that goes us to the next point. Peter says, and do good. So again, you don't just be a person who says, I don't do this, I don't do this, I don't do this, I don't do this. Number four, he says, if you want to have good days, get this, do good. Do good. Let him eschew evil, verse 11 says, and do good. What does it mean <coughs> to do good? It means that which is helpful. Do I do anything helpful besides for myself or anybody? Do I do good? Do I do helpful for somebody else? Doing good means to be beneficial, to do something wholesome. Do good toward God in praising Him and making Him known. Do good toward men in helping them, their hurts and their needs and their pains. To, you know, there's all kinds of things we can talk about doing good. It's a, such a broad subject. Do good. Did I do good this last year? I don't mean in your sport, like, oh, you did good, man. In your sport or your whatever, your game, your online gaming or whatever. Did I do good to people, to some other person? I'm not saying, well, I didn't kill anybody. Well, good job of stewing evil there. Do good, though, too. Did you help somebody? Do good to your neighbor. Starts by knowing their name and praying for them and saying hi before they hide in their cave. I like, let's hear some Bible verses. Psalm 37, 3, trust in the Lord and do good. So shalt thou dwell in the land, and verily thou shalt be fed. You'll be taken care of. It's like, I know some of us right now are thinking, man, I might have a bad year. I might have a bad year. I just need to trust in the Lord and do good. I need to keep doing good to my kids, keep doing good toward my wife, keep doing good and making an honest living, having a reasonable work schedule. Do good in, in, in the sense of take, carve out some time to, be, to, to, that, to, to get to know my neighbor and talk to them and do something for them so that they feel that it's a benefit having you live next to them. Trust in the Lord and do good. You'll have a good year. Some of us can list more things that we don't do than what we do do. Galatians 6.10, as we have therefore opportunity, it's a good way of putting it, as we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially they have the, those of their household of faith. That's interesting. Uh, Paul told us, Christians, as we have opportunity, that means you don't always have opportunity. Don't you ever get overwhelmed? It's like you watch the news like, oh man, oh, I got to vote for that. I got to figure that out. Oh, I got to give to that. You can get overwhelmed with that. You don't have opportunity to deal with everything that the news is telling you or that somebody advertises to you. But as start closest to you, people you work with, people you live around, people in church, maybe a, a stranger, like, do I have opportunity to bless this person? As you therefore have opportunity, do good unto all men. Do a good word. Do a good deed. A good gift. Especially they that are of the household of faith. That means don't leave out Christians. You're one of them. Even Jesus said, this is a whole other message, but I've been very amazed by the fact that Jesus said, it's in the Sermon on the Mount, love, he says, do good to those that hate you. You ever really think about what he's saying? What do we do to people that hate us? I'm getting away from this person, this guy. Jesus said, do something good for them. Love your enemies. Isn't that amazing that he says that? The reason he says it is because that's what the Father does. He keeps, he keeps sending rain on the fields of the 
people who hate him. Be perfect like your father, which is in heaven, he says. If I do good, I'll have a good year. That's a pretty simple concept. <clears throat> Look at Hebrews 13, 16. I'll quote it at least. It says, but to do good and communicate, that means to share, forget not for which such sacrifices God is well pleased. I had the far boxer. I think we might see Derek tonight. The far boxer out in Arkansas. And uh, Derek came back, though. He's going to be here for a little while and then go back. But um, I was encouraged this last year when they went to camp. Maybe they wouldn't want to tell me this. But basically what they did was they, they, got, um, they bought a bunch of stuff. And um, when they were going to camp, to give to some of the workers there. And uh, even when I saw them loading, I was helping them load up the trailer because they were taking our teens to camp. And then I was like, what is all this stuff? And he had like snacks and other bunch of things. And he's like, oh, we're just, we're just going to give it to some people. He's like, so what do you mean? I was trying to like prod him. Like, he was kind of reluctant. Well, we're trying to give it to some of the workers and stuff. So I thought, that's pretty good. That's pretty nice. Some of the, the staff up there. You know, I worked at that camp years ago. You don't get like a small allowance for the weekend. So it was nice to see they're doing a little good for those of the household of faith. I thought that was nice. By the way, again, people, thank you. This church has been kind and done good to the pastor and his wife. It's been such a blessing to us. The church has been very loving. But there it is. You'll have a good year if you do good. What a concept. Number five, last one. This is great. This really affects a lot of our relationships. I want to have a good year. All right. Then seek peace and ensue it, Peter says. He that will love life and see good days, here's the last component, seek peace and ensue it. It doesn't, okay, so here's, that means this, that I am seeking for a peaceful reconciliation with this friend, this neighbor, this church member. I am seeking peace in my workplace. I am pursuing, ensue it means pursue it. Versus just leave it, man, that guy's always, rather than talking about a conflict and not doing anything. I get people a lot of times that come to me, and I want you to come to me. That's part of my job being a pastor. I want to hear about your problems and your issues, and I want to hear that that person's unfair to you. Fine, I want to hear all that. But after a while, I want to hear that you're seeking peace and ensuing it. Otherwise, you keep coming back. So did you try to talk to that person? No, but I'll tell you this much. Well, then don't tell me anymore until you seek peace and ensue it. The Bible says that if, if you have an odd against your brother, you do as much as you can to go try to reconcile with them. They may not accept it, but you do your part. You seek peace. You pursue it. The Bible says in Romans 12, 18, if it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. It means it may not always be possible, but try. You'll have a good year. You know, it's good to end a year like last year. You may have had a a strained relationship with a brother or a mother or whatever, you know what? It'd be a lot easier to end a year like that at least having tried to make a few phone calls, even if you didn't get to reconcile with the, the angry mother-in-law or father, whatever. But you tried. You saw peace and ensued it, and you can still say, well, I still feel like I had good days because I left the, the old year in a good conscience. I remember... Some, in high school, guys would seek fights, man. You know, in high school, I went to Mesa High School, and sometimes you just got bored. Or I can go into this class again, going like, man, I wish somebody would get in a fight around here. We ought something. You know, and that's how some guys were. Like, I'm looking for a fight. 
We're not looking for peace. Now that I'm older, I'm like, looking for peace. Please don't fight me. You know? <laughs> you know? But then some guys were really like, I am personally looking to fight. Like the, the Billy, blow up Billy, he'd walk around with his chest like this, and we'd say that, you know. And he's like looking to bump somebody. You bump into me, you know. And a guy, you bumped into me. No, you bump. And then they start pushing and fighting, and then a crowd gathers around, and, and they fight. People are, some guys are seeking conflict. They're not seeking peace. Um, tabloids, that is those magazines that are close to the checkout counter and probably some websites, they're not seeking peace. Even when they say, oh, isn't this wonderful Brad and Jen are back together again. They have to have Brad and Jen. I don't even know if Brad and Jen are, I, I can't keep track of this. All right. He's like, Pastor, they're already remarried five other times. I know, they probably are. But the tabloids would be like, Oh, look at they're together. Isn't this wonderful? Isn't this so wonderful? But that tabloid, they're like, they have to see them have a problem. They need Jen to get ticked off at him again so they can take pictures of it and say, she's not doing good. Look at this face, you know. And they have to, the media and the flesh has to have this conflict of no peace, you know. They have to do that. But we should be, the whole call of Peter right here is, look, we're beyond that. We seek peace and ensue it. We don't fester conflict and, 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 um, uh, of, you know, things like that. I want to seek peace in my relationship with my wife, with my kids, with my neighbors, with my church, with my work, co-workers, in as much as it's possible. Seek peace and ensue it. It's possible. And then if we think about it, this is what God did. God, because He wanted to see good days for us, and because he wanted to see good days with us, sought peace and ensued it, especially the night when those shepherds were out in the field outside of Bethlehem and the sky shone and there was a host of angels that said, glory to God in the highest of these humble men. And on earth peace, goodwill toward men, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. What they were saying is, hey guys, we got good news. God is sending his a peacemaker, Jesus Christ, to, to, to reconcile you to God. God is sending His peace accords, His offer of peace accords to you all, gentlemen. And that's what the Bible says is the nature of Jesus Christ coming and dying on the cross. It's God offering His peace accords to humanity. You see, because the fact is, is that whether we realize it or not, naturally we are at war with God. Our sin is at war with God. My sin, the soul that sinneth it shall die. He that believeth not shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. The wrath of God abides on me naturally. But God sent Jesus Christ, who is our peace, to make peace for us on the cross, dying for our sins and shedding the perfect blood, the one sacrifice. That way, when we put our trust in him, I have peace with God, and I'm justified by faith through the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm at peace with God. I may be disturbed with the rest of the world, and I may even not even uh, always have my daily faith right, but I'm at peace with God now. Whew, God sought peace and ensued it for me. If you haven't trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, the one who came to this cross and was buried and rose from the dead, then you're at war with God. But when we trust Him, you're at peace with God, even if you don't feel it. In his, in his eyes, you're at peace with Him. That's the nature of becoming a Christian. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. 
So let, we'll wrap this up. A couple things. People talk about good old days, and we could talk about those things. There's a lot of good memories that our lives have had. And by the way, I want us to share a few things tonight, if we can, by way of testimony of good things that have happened. But sometimes we just only talk as if days of old are good. But we can create some good new days just by embracing a few of these things right here today about the way we handle our tongue, the way we handle eschewing evil and doing good, and the way we try to pursue peace in our friendships and relationships. Jesus said, blessed are those peacemakers. And we can create good new days. Again, having major problems and trials that I have out of my control is God's choice. But these other things are my choice. What will your life look like this year? Church family, my life and your life in, in, much, in a much part is going to look like our choices. And much of it will look like the choices you've made. And we can see good by taking up God's promises here from, that Peter gives us.